Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. We're going to continue in a series that I'm excited that we've been in for a couple of weeks. And it's one of those series that is very, very simple. We're talking about neighboring, talking about being good neighbors. And this is what comes from the greatest commandment, that we would love the Lord and that we would love our neighbor. And uh, while it seems very basic and trivial, it's something that oftentimes we don't engage uh, in, the, in the immediate vicinity and context with where we live. And so that's where we kind of started a couple weeks ago. And uh, we're going to continue to be in this place today um, as we move a little bit further. And so today, I just want to ask, how many of you guys... Um, how many of you guys have ever been on a mission trip overseas? Anyone ever been out of the country on a mission trip specifically? Uh, one, me, in, no one else? Is that it? I'm surprised. I figured there'd be more. How many of you have done outreach and evangelism domestically in the States? Anybody ever just done outreach homeless or uh, worked with other ministries just here? Okay. So some of the things we'll talk about today, it's going to be interesting about, um, I remember community service for me was required uh, when I was in high school, CAK required it. Um, it was something that we had to have so many hours. Uh, I even remember where I worked at Chick-fil-A, they rewarded it. Um, and I think now they even pay you so many hours a week uh, to engage in community service. So that's something that was, that was built in by default um, just into the school systems I was a part of, into uh, my family, uh, the things that I was involved with with them. Uh, and I remember in high school, it really kind of catching the bug for it. I remember I, I served at a, um, at a kind of a retirement center, a nursing home, if you would, in, in East Knoxville off of Boyd's Bridge, Holston, uh, right outside of Holston Hills. And I just loved it. I remember Mrs. Beeler. I remember she was in her upper 80s. And I would go and take her Chick-fil-A and just sit there, and we would eat, and we would talk together. And for me, it was, it was investing in someone else outside of myself. And then for me, it was, it was more than just the hours I was required to have. It started to ignite something. You know what? I was praying this morning of what Paul said to Timothy of fanning into flame the gifts that have been placed inside of you as he writes to him, is something that we sometimes don't know exactly what those gifts are until we begin to step outside of our own comfort zones and begin to serve someone else, begin to love someone else, begin to do something outside of ourselves. And we begin to see that God has gifts inside of us that he wants to use. And, and for me, I began to recognize that and in high school, that it was it, the, the picture of being so much more than just about my life and what was for me. It began to just really challenge me and stretch me. And, and I remember wanting to spend my birthday there uh, with Miss Beeler and, and, that, and, the, and the folks that I had built relationships with. And, um, and I remember asking my family if we could do that. And they said, well, we've got a party planned. And so I went by there before the party. And this was my 17th birthday. Um, that I, I spent there. I went by to see her first uh, because I had just dev- developed a relationship. But more than that, I had discovered a passion. I had discovered a call and a gift that was, again, found outside of myself. It was found in investing in someone else. It was found by loving someone other than myself and loving my neighbor. And so even in mission trips, I, I, I began to discover that, man, there is so much even here locally that while we don't have to travel around the world, though the gospel must go to all the nations and God is calling and will use many of us, that we can find his gifts and his calls and his passions right here 
for us. And so I want us to look at this first verse as we start today in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's a, it's a common verse that we read a lot in our circles, talking about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, it says, But you will receive what? Power. We will receive power when what? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we love this verse, and I, and I think about being among those that Jesus was speaking to, about how they knew that he was getting ready to leave. He's kind of given, him, given them the, the departure speech. And can you imagine being in that group that was like, Jesus, are you serious? You're really going to leave? Like, man, we, we thought we lost you once, but now we're going to lose you a second time? And he's telling them that it's actually going to be for your better. It's actually going to be better because of what I'm about to send to you, the promised Holy Spirit. And he says, you will receive power, an endowment of power, a deutimous power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that power will what? Will allow you to do what? To be my witnesses. And this is what I think of when I think about neighboring. When I think about how we love in our world in every context and situation, it must be through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to have his power. And to me, this next statement I want to read is, the great promised Holy Spirit becomes the great responsibility to be his witnesses in all the earth. And I think about what Jesus said. He said, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think about the Holy Spirit that you and I have received and that we continue to stir up the gifts that are within us. There's a responsibility on our end. He has placed him there, but there's a responsibility for us to continue to stir up those gifts, to walk with one another, to sharpen one another, to do this in community and to do this in our community as we are his witnesses, as we are literally little Christ Christians throughout where we're at. And there's this idea throughout Scripture that God has given to us as his creation to come with a responsibility, what he has given us comes with a call, comes with a purpose. It comes with even a duty and a responsibility to use what he has given us according to his plan, according to bringing his kingdom here to earth as it is in heaven. You know, and, and for our family, we've been talking about this the, the past few weeks and even before about how could we be more welcoming? How could we create that that welcoming environment, even among our neighbors. And we've had more conversations. I was trying to count up last night. I was like, how many neighbors did I talk to this week? I'm really curious. And I think I counted up six or seven different neighbors. And some of them, it's still about the surface things, but still engaging intentionally. How can I talk to my neighbors, those right here on my street where he's placed us? How can I create opportunities for building those relationships? And this, this week, I got more opportunities to talk to neighbors because our trash company quit. <laughs> and so it was the most bizarre situation, but I got to talk to a lot of neighbors because I was figuring out what had happened, and I was kind of putting piece, pieces together, and we were talking to each other. We're like, your trash didn't get picked up either, and well, I heard this, and I heard that. And so we're all, and my other neighbor works for a different trash company. He works for Waste Connections. And so we're talking about, well, what do you guys, what have y'all heard? And, and I'm actually giving him information that he's feeding his bosses. And they're like, yeah, here's the new company. And Tri-County, everybody just walked out. And the people that were you know, working for the president while he was sick, they just quit, just locked the doors. And we're like, what? 
And so I got an opportunity, just like many of you guys, sometimes under circumstances and situations, to talk to neighbors. But I'm looking for those conversations to develop. I'm looking for those relationships to go deeper than just about the trash services, right? Because I'm looking for what we're going to talk about today, even people of peace. And how many of you, you've maybe, I don't know if you've been recently to the mall or you've been out in public. I remember being in an airport one time and uh, you would see you're, you're in that waiting area for the boarding and it hasn't happened. And, and there's this couple that I'm not sure if they're just dating or newly married, but they're, they're making out. They are going to town, right? And you're like, all the thoughts, you're like, ugh, gross, get a room, all those things. And, and, I, th- and I thought about the many times that when you are passionate about something, when you are so infatuated or in love with someone, you don't need anyone else to understand. As a matter of fact, you will just display your passion, your love, no matter who's watching. And that's what, I, that's what I was viewing in that particular time. But I think about how so many times our passion and our love for God, it isn't always understood by those who don't know Him, who aren't a part of that relationship with Him. We have so much language and Christianese and and, and how, though, how, though, do we share what God has done in our lives and the passion and the love that we have for Him with those that have yet experienced Him? How do we begin to relate and to be vulnerable even and to share our lives and to share our stories and to share even our struggles and our victories and what He has done with those that have yet to even come to know Him in a way that they could taste and see that the Lord really is good. How do we help them understand his goodness? And that's what we're going to explore today. Have you ever heard of the, the term or the idea of a parish? Anybody ever heard of that? It's not something we have as often today in our context in a church, but when we moved here from Nashville, my family moved here, and we moved to Holston Hills in East, East Knoxville, and we located a church first before we found where we were going to move. My parents had tried out uh, Macedonia United Methodist Church. They had actually gotten to know the pastor a little bit and decided to look for a house in that area. And a Baptist church was selling what they called the, par- that, the parsonage, right, for that parish, the area that that pastor served. But the parsonage was the house where they lived. And so Fifth Avenue Baptist was selling the parsonage on Green Valley Drive in Holston Hills. And my parents bought it in 84 for a great deal compared to what it costs today. But I think about those pastors that were called to a specific area, given a parish, and then were moved periodically like we experienced in the Methodist church there every two years. Right? They had a rotation, it seemed like. They would just keep moving, keep moving. And some of that was by design, and I didn't really care for some of it because you would build a relationship with that pastor. Bill and Bobby Wells, those were the first pastors we experienced here in in Knoxville. And and I'm sure that you've experienced that too, where people end up picking up and moving, and maybe it's part of the denominational system. But I want to challenge us that the Lord has called us to a parish as well. That if we're truly, truly called to be a priesthood of all believers, then you have a parish. Then you have a group of people that the Lord has put into your life. And I want us to begin to understand, and, and a little bit of the, just the, 
the, the definition here of perish and the idea of where that word even comes from. Our English word, we derive it from the, the French word. And the French derive theirs from the Latin, and the Latin got theirs from the Greek. And the Greek word, parochia, I think you'll see I have a slide here. The Greek word, parochia, has a Romanized meaning of sojourning in a foreign land. It comes from parochias, dwelling beside, stranger, sojourner. So why are you telling us all this, Michael? Well, I want you to understand that literally the word that we have comes from that original Greek word, which was two words, para, meaning beside or by or near, and then oikos, which is the word for house. So think about a parish originally coming from that word of those that you your house is beside, that which your house is near or by in direct vicinity. And I think for us, as we're looking at neighboring, it would be the most practical place for us to understand that the Lord has given us a parish, and it is right where we are. It's, it's in, in immediate vicinity. It is by and beside and near your dwelling, your house. And, and what if we owned, what if we owned, each one of us, our parish? As someone called of God, to steward and pastor and and lead and reach and walk with those that were in our parish? What if we carried out God's desire within our territory, our parish, for God's desire that none should perish, right? That none should perish within our parish. What if we each carried that out? And what if this Sunday morning celebration was literally all of us coming together to celebrate what God had done throughout the week within our parishes. What if that was how we responded to where God has placed us and planted us? And I want us to look at, we're going to be going into more of the Psalms in the coming weeks with our Summer in the Psalm series, but I want us to focus on a Psalm for just a few minutes, Psalm 29. We're going to spend a few minutes there if you want to turn with me. We're going to be reading, I'm going to read the entire Psalm And we're going to walk through just a few of these verses together on how this would would set us up and prepare us for what God is calling us to in our parishes. Let's read this together. Psalm 29, I'm going to start in verse 1 through 10. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. He goes on. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. And he goes on talking about the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord, it breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord, he twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the, over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. And the beginning of this psalm is, is much like what we would read in a couple of the others. In Psalm 96 and in First Chronicles 16, you can see a similar reflection. It's this liturgical practice of come, of come and give glory. Literally, that word ascribe, 
It's not something we use in our daily language, but it, it just means to, to give, to attribute, to, to honor and a credit to. So if we hear this, this cry of come and give God, come and, and attribute and a credit and give God the glory that is due his name. Worship him for who he is. And then it goes into the voice of the Lord. It quickly transitions into, as we give him glory, listen and look for where he is speaking and working and acting and moving. And I think of the voice of the Lord throughout Scripture. I think of how in the beginning, it was the voice of the Lord that had creative power. And it is still God's words, even in our mouths, that have the, what, it has the power of life. In the, the, in, within the tongue, there is life and there is death. And we see that through God's words, there was this ability to create something out of nothing. In the voice of the Lord, it, it also, it, in the scripture, you would see it as an epiphany, as, 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 as God appearing, as what we have encounter, connect, grow, as God would encounter man, as he did with Moses. We see that in number seven in Deuteronomy four. It was the voice of the Lord that was speaking out of the cloud. And Moses was struck by like, take off my shoes. This is the Lord that is encountering me. This is the Lord that is meeting with me. One that he did not even know at that time. That he would realize it was the I am, the one that had created heaven and earth. It was the voice of the Lord. And I think of the voice of the Lord for Samuel as he was in the house with Eli in the, in the Lord's house. And he would hear God speak to him, call out his name, Samuel, Samuel. Running over to Eli, servant, yeah, what, what do you need? And going back and saying, I didn't call you. And hearing it again, it's the voice of the Lord that speaks to us, that calls us. And I think of Isaiah as he heard the voice of the Lord in chapter 6 of Isaiah 6. How he encountered God, how he saw his train of his robe fill the temple and the glory that was there. But then he saw his own wickedness and his sin is a man who had preached righteousness, but in view of who God was and his holiness, saw himself as nothing to compare. And he was convicted of his own sin, and, but it was the voice of the Lord then that not only encountered him, convict him, but commissioned him, would send him the voice of the Lord. Who will go for me? Who can I send? And I think Isaiah reluctantly said, I, I guess me? And it's the voice of the Lord that you would later hear Isaiah prophesy, the voice of the Lord in Isaiah 30 that wars, that battles. The voice of the Lord, it does so much. It, it fills in so many ways. It creates, it restores, it redeems, it convicts. It has power, it is majestic. And here we're seeing that in Psalm 29 that it broods, it thunders, it echoes, it strikes, it breaks, it twists. It is majestic. And I think about the voice of the Lord representing God in so many of our lives today and how he enters our chaos, how he enters the, the crazy things of our world right now and that he's a missional God. He is a God on mission to enter into the chaos of our world and to get involved and to get his hands dirty. This is what I see when I think of the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord from the very beginning, it was never more evident, though, in the life of Christ when the Word would become flesh. 
when literally the voice of the Lord, the word of God would wrap itself in skin and become one of us. Enter into our chaos, into our mess, into our world. The voice of the Lord did that. And it means that there is someone above all of our craziness, above all of the chaos of our existence, but is willing to enter into our existence fully so that we could experience freedom forever in relationship with God. And so why is this important for us? Why would, why would we need to think of this when we're talking about neighboring today? Because for us, he has left us an example to follow. We have a role to play in all of this. We have a God that has called us to be as he was among us and to carry out his works in our day. We have a role to play in bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, in seeing the renewal of all things. We have a job to do as kingdom people. And for me as kingdom people, this is the lens through which we see all things. This is the lens through which we see the racial reconciliation and the hot-button issues of of our political uh, day. It is the lens through which I see anything else as a kingdom person, as someone wrapping heaven in flesh and walking out God's principles for today. How do we ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name, that they would see him for who he is in the splendor of his holiness through our lives, that they would hear the voice of God, that they would hear his words through the way we live and the way we talk, and that they would be able to see that he is God and that he is good. Because first and foremost, we are Christian before we are anything else. For me, the cross becomes before the color of our skin, the cross comes before whatever, uh, if you're an R or a D, whatever you, whoever you vote for, it is a cross first. The cross preempts any flag of any nationality. For me, it is about the kingdom. And for all of us, it should be the same. It should be about Christ and what he has done for us. And right now, in so much division in our nation, in our culture, For me, it comes back to the cross and what Jesus is wanting to do in and through our lives in bringing his kingdom to our neighbors, to our community, to our cities, to see wholeness. And the ways of Christ take priority over culture, over society norms, over political agendas, over preferences, over our choosings, because we are aliens and strangers passing through a land that is not our home. And so as neighbors, we bring something to bear that is otherworldly. We bring the kingdom of God. This is something that a party can't bring. This is something that even a social movement can't establish. This is something that only the people of God can bring to earth, and that is heaven that we can bring to light the glory that will fill the earth by ascribing to him the glory that is due his name. And so for me, neighboring is all about bringing God's peace, bringing his healing, bringing order to the chaos of our world around us. And Jesus literally calmed the seas. And I think about when he was in that chaos of the storms, walking out to his disciples, and he's looking at, and they're kind of trying to figure out, is this, who is this? Where is Jesus? Why has he abandoned us in the storms and the messes of life? And he literally can say, peace be still in the midst of everything that is going on, because he is a missional God who enters into our chaotic world and brings peace and healing and renewal 
to all things in our lives. And he is inviting us to join him in the renewal of all things, in the redemption, in the restoration of all things, in the lives of those that we cross cross paths with, of the individuals that we literally live right within a stone's throw of. And so I think about our neighborhoods, and I think about yours, and I think about mine, and, and I think about how the individuals in each one of those homes, they're fighting a great battle. I would imagine each one of them are fighting a great battle because there's chaos all around us. And there's some of them that are, that are fighting battles of addiction and of, uh, of, of loss of life and of uh, sickness. And they're fighting a battle of just restoration and relationships. And there's so many things. Imagine your neighbors, right? Because this is the world we live in. That they aren't the only ones that are in a struggle that is real because we each find that we are fighting a great battle and we have an opportunity for them to see that the Lord is the one that fights our battles. We have an opportunity to neighbor and to love our space, right? And occupy the area that he has called us to. And for for me, if if you've known me even just a little bit, sometimes it's hard for me to to get close and give up my space and my house and invite all my neighbors in. Like, to me, that's, it's a little uncomfortable at times. It's like I, I, I want that space. I want to be able to come home and I want to be able to relax and um, not have the hustle and bustle and the, to, to put on or to think I need to, to be something that I just want to relax. And, and that's something that the Lord has even been challenging me with as far as will I invite them into my space? Will I invite them into what I consider my abode of peace and allow them to experience something that maybe even in, as they're fighting their battles, that they could find some refuge in him through the lives that we live among them. And allow them to get close enough to sense that there is something different. And allow them in my space, in my, if God has given me them as a parish, if my neighborhood is those that God has called us to, then how am I bringing his peace to their lives, literally the shalom of God. And so today I want us to look at a little bit of what shalom would mean. How do we bring peace to our neighbors? How do we pray? Pray for the peace, right, of your city. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of those that we live around. And shalom, that Hebrew word, it it does mean peace and harmony and wholeness and completeness, and prosperity, and the welfare of, and tranquility. It has so much packed into it. That ancient Hebrew concept of peace, rooted in that word shalom, it talks about so much more than just, hey, peace, and, and, and no turmoil, and no war. It's, it literally carries with it the idea of soundness, of health, of safety, of prosperity, of carrying with it the implications of permanence. And as we, if you've had a chance to kind of think about those that you know around you and, and who you don't know yet, I want us to think about as we fill out a, a neighborhood map, I want to encourage you, if you've not been here, uh, we're talking about how we can take our home and literally begin to identify those that live around us and write down who do we know, who do we not know, what do we know about them, what do we know that concerns them, how, how could we maybe even be a part of being in that process with them of, of carrying those burdens, those things that concern them, whether it's through prayer or literally physically getting involved, 
uh, whatever it may be. And the first step is for us to identify our parish. Identify our parish. And so I want us this next week, I want you to pray and to ask the Lord to show you how to even get to know the folks around you. If you already know some of them a little bit, how do, you take, how do we take that a little bit deeper in our relationship? How does it go beyond just the things that are affecting our neighborhood because the trash service quit? How do we move those conversations for those literally living next door to us who are fighting a great battle, who have life that is happening, but potentially aren't experiencing God's peace? How do we, God, identify our parish and those that are around us? And I believe the Lord will begin to lead us to minister to and to share our life with our parish and those in it. And the second thing is, I want us to think about how can we be intentional within our parish? How can we pray intentionally? And that's, that's the first thing I want us to do this week. If you haven't already, if you don't already, or if you do, continue. But let's begin to pray intentionally as we go up and down our streets. It's, it's one thing when we drive right past it and we see certain things about homes in our neighborhood, but it changes our perspective when we begin to pray for the individuals that live in each one of those homes. And so I'm going to challenge you the same as I'm, in, I'm challenging myself and our family. Would you begin to pray intentionally and strategically? Maybe go, go for a walk. Begin to pray for each person in those homes that you know and, and maybe those that you've seen, you're not quite sure what their names are. And ask the Lord as you pray through those areas, God, would you give me your heart for, these, for this family? Would you give me your heart for what's going on in their lives and how you want to, to be working in their, in their lives? And, and some of them he's already at work in. And that's what I want us to be able to see. God, would you bring your peace to the individuals and families here? Would you bring shalom? Would you bring health and wholeness And would you use me in that process? And so ask God to show us those people of peace and to join him in what he is already doing. To join him in what he is already doing. Because God, we want to come alongside you of where you're already moving and breathing and your kingdom's already at work. And the strategy, the plan that we need is, God, to lead us into those in relationship around us that we could see them as you see them. And that we could join your work that you're already doing in their life. And so as I was, as I was uh, reading and studying this week, I heard a quote uh, by Henry David Thoreau. And I don't know if you know much about Henry David Thoreau. He lived in a small town in Massachusetts. And one of his quotes is this. He says, I have traveled a good deal in Concord. (laughs) And you're like, what? He says, I have traveled a good deal in Concord. Or some would say, I have traveled extensively in Concord. And you'll be like, okay, I don't understand any of what he's saying. So Concord, Massachusetts is where Henry David Thoreau was from. And what he was trying to say with this statement is, I have embedded myself and gotten to know and intentionally built relationships in the city of Concord, in the town of Concord, Massachusetts, had a population of about 2,000 people when he lived there. This is like, this is like us saying, I have traveled extensively in Blaine. There's about 1,800 people that live in Blaine currently. 
about 1,800 that claim that as their residence. Can you imagine saying, I have traveled a great deal in Blaine, Tennessee? And maybe you have, Timmy. I don't know. You, are, you did some work up there, didn't you? Maybe you got to know some of the people that are running the Pizza Plus there and, and the, in the post office. And I'm not even sure if there's a library. I should have looked that up. There is one over by the ball fields, isn't there? I think there's one over there by the ball fields. So it's saying, I have traveled a great deal in this little bitty area, saying, I have owned my parish. I have gotten to know and invested in, and I love it when we begin to worship and eat and play and live and work and invest right where we are. Go back to the same place and get gas. Check out with the same person. Re- build repetition and intentionality that I'm going to do this on these days. De- I'm going to build intentionality. And that's what interesting is Henry David Thoreau would say that, that he would do this within his immediate vicinity on purpose that he would build those deeper relationships. And for us, where has he called us? What is he wanting us to do as we intentionally invest and invite and include them in what God is already doing in our lives and we identify where he is at work in theirs? And as we build on this, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to spend some time here. This is where we're going to spend the most time as we finish looking at how do we neighbor in some intentional ways as Jesus would send out the 72. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and we're going to come back and I'm going to walk through verse by verse. And let's pull out some principles for us practically. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them, how? Two by two, ahead of him to every town, in every place where he was about to go. And he told them, he said, the harvest is plentiful. He said, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And in verse 3, he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. In verse 4, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. What in the world does that mean? And when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house, shalom. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. But if not, it will return to you. Verse 7, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. And then finally, all of that leading to verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus, as we look back at verse 1, he could have done a number of things. So he sent out 72. He could have sent them out and they could have covered more territory and more land, but he decided not to send them out as individuals. He decided to send them out as pairs. And the first principle I see here is that Jesus is saying we are better together. There's a number of things that we could pull out of this first one, but Jesus could have sent them out as individuals, but he acknowledges that we need encouragement. He acknowledges that we need motivation. We need accountability. And so he sends them out two by two. There's even this principle, this wouldn't happen just among Jesus and his disciples, but within Jewish circles, this was the case as well. They would send them out two by two, And it provided companionship, protection, but also the idea of that double witness 
as what was prescribed in Deuteronomy 17 and 19. That it would, be, it would be confirmed in the mouths of two or three witnesses. And so it was very common that they would send them out two by two. You see this when a couple of people knock on your door, right? And they're wearing a badge and it says, Elder so-and-so. The Mormons still follow this principle of going two by two. And we see that Jesus did this because he recognized that we are better when we are connected, when we are together for a multitude of reasons. And, and just like little John the Baptist, these two-by-twos, these couples that Jesus had commissioned and sent with these instructions were preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the way as, as John was commissioned to do for the Messiah. Now, before Jesus comes town to town, his disciples are preparing the way. And I think as we go, we go together, we go in families, we go in relationships with others with us, to share what Jesus is maybe already doing, is about to do, is going to continue to do in the lives of those around us. And we see that he said, go ahead into every town, every place where I am about to come. And so the second principle I see in verse 2 is he told them, he says, hey, the, the harvest is plentiful. He said, but ask the Lord of the harvest. He begins to teach them about prayer. And he says, pray strategically. Recognize recognize that you are not the great hope to your neighbor. You're not swooping in with some sort of cape ready to save the day for those around us. But we're joining the Lord in what he is already doing in their lives. We're joining him in what he is already doing in our neighborhood, in, in, our, in their culture, and in their context. And, and it's very likely that God is already in our day right now in what used to be the Bible belt, the buckle here, more than likely in our neighborhoods, God is already doing something in the lives of someone around us. And he's going to talk about, hey, how do you identify? How do you recognize where he is already at work? And how do you begin to then join them? Begin to first pray strategically, he says. He says, the first step in this mission task that I am giving you as my disciples is to recognize the need against the backdrop of the plenty. He said, there's going to be someone that is, that is ripe. And, and the harvest is going to look plentiful. But you're going to be able, we need more workers, and I'm sending you out two by two. Ask that the Lord would bring more into your neighborhood, that would bring more into your parish. Pray strategically and pray according to the need that is in front of us, that we would have eyes to see it as he sees it. And then in verse 3, he says, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. As we begin, as you begin, as you continue, because some of you, some of the stories I've heard about how you're, you're neighboring already, how you're loving, how you're even caring for people in the church, how you're wrapping arms around those that are hurting around you, I see that things will get messy. And that's what I see in verse 3. That's the third principle is that things will get messy. That everyone in our neighborhood, as we said, is fighting a great battle. And God wants us to guard our hearts because as things get messy, it begins to spill over into our lives and our lives hopefully will spill over into theirs. But how many of you, if you've ever gotten involved even just a little bit with someone that was walking through something, real quick, it gets messy. It gets messy. And you get drug into things maybe you didn't want to get drug into and, and you're like, oh man, I don't even, I don't even have, and I'm not even sure how to fix. This is how many years in the run. I don't know all the answers and that's okay. 
because we know the one who does. And as we bring Christ and we just bring his peace, the shalom of heaven into their lives, we begin to see, God, where are you at work? How can we, through relationship, bring the balm of heaven into what is happening in their lives? And he says, you are going in as lambs among wolves and like sheep. As one commentary I read this week says, he says, we are defenseless and dependent upon God. We are defenseless and completely dependent upon God to bring his shalom to those that are hurting around us, to bring his peace in his kingdom. And in verse 4, we see that don't take with you a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And today, I just want to talk about how we aren't trying to buy people or force things on people. We aren't trying to uh, manipulate relationships. We are, using, we are in relationships that are even going to be reciprocal. And you'll see how Jesus talks about that in the next verses. The ones that we are living aren't just in relationship with our neighbors that are, hey, here I am for you and giving to you, but we have to also be willing to share our lives and even our needs with them, that they would be in a give and take relationship, that it would be a mutual relationship, a genuine relationship. And Jesus is saying here, when you go into a house, don't, don't necessarily just greet anyone on the road. Be focused. Don't be distracted. Do not take along with you. Do not greet. Don't get distracted on the way. But the community that we are building, it is authentic. And what we are trying to do is genuine. As we start to think about being maybe the biblical authority in our neighborhood and bringing his kingdom, that's not. we're wanting to build relationships, not to be the Bible thumper. We're wanting to allow those relationships to hopefully lead to spiritual conversations. And as they begin to see Christ in us, as we, are, as we talked about last week, the aroma of heaven, we can see in verse 5 what he talks about here. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. We can bring that shalom. And at its bare minimum, it's translated peace, but it carries with it so much more. We begin to exhibit the wholeness that God brings to our brokenness, the completeness that he brings to our emptiness, the soundness that he brings, the health, the safety. And it carries with it, as I mentioned, that idea of permanence, that we are a part of a family and they can see that being a part of this family, what it does in our lives and those that we're joining where he is already at work in the lives of those in our neighborhood, in our parish, that God is coming in and he's changing things that were to the way that they were intended to be. This is the renewal of all things. And when we come to a place to bring shalom, we want to carry with it that renewal into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into where we are investing. I have traveled extensively in Fountain City. I have traveled extensively in Burlington. I have traveled extensively in, Nor in your neighborhood, I think mine's called Kingswood. You know, I have traveled extensively that we would invest, that we would let our roots be settled. And we'll see where Jesus talks about that. And in verse 6, the principle I see here is that we find a person of peace. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. 
And this is something, uh, just even in my work, we talk about this a lot. This is, for me, is an evangelistic uh, paradigm. It's a view of, of missions and outreach of how we find that person of peace when we go into a community. And a lot of times before we will go into a neighborhood or um, currently we have about three or four places um, that are inviting us to come in and add a new Kiko location. And we talk about it with our staff. We talk about how do we identify where we have people of peace? How do we identify where it's not just, man, they really want something to come and keep the kids occupied, but it's truly a community of peace that is ripe and that is ready. And we begin to identify that as we walk through and we pray through these communities and we begin to have conversations with management and staff and families and those that are key stakeholders that have lived there for a while. And we begin to identify, you know what, I I see where there is already God's at work and doing something and we're being drawn into something that he's already doing. And while we may be bringing something that wasn't happening in, these, in the people's lives that we live with and those we work with, we begin to identify a person of peace. And it's more than just someone who is nice and kind and hospitable, which is great, right? I hope, it's, I hope it includes all that, but it's so much more. It includes someone that we will be able to have spiritual dialogue with, that those conversations can go into the matters of the heart and what the Lord is doing. And so it's so important in in verse 6 that we identify and find a person of peace. In neighboring, it should develop relationships with those within our parish where God has placed us and thus called us. And sometimes we go slow so that we can go far. Not rushing people into something that they're not interested in yet, but instead allowing those relationships to develop towards spiritual alignment. And out of all the parishes, I would say, we have a person, at least one person of peace in all of ours. I'd say there's at least one person of peace in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood, in where you live, and where you work. There's a person of peace for us to identify. And we take time to find out who they are. And we begin talking about what is important to them and what they're concerned about. And we begin to identify in that person of peace where the Lord is already at work. Where the Lord is already at work. And we've, it's funny, even, um, even as we've been able to start further dialogues with our own neighbors in our neighborhood, um, been talking more to one specific neighbor, Roger, um, who happens to work for one of the trash places, right? And so we've had a lot more conversations this week. But even before that, just beginning to talk about how they've gotten involved in a church recently and they've been, um, you know, they had taken their kid out of private Christian school and put them into public and just talking about some of those, some of those things that were big for their family, big decisions and some of the, some of the things that they're really, they've been struggling with, some of the good things, some of the, hey, everything's been great financially through, through quarantine and COVID, but man, we're trying to figure out the next stage for our kids and, and being able to just be there in their lives for no other reason than to just love them and to love them well. And doing that is joining him where he's already at work. In verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, Stay there, eating and drinking where, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And as I read this this week, it really spoke to me. 
um, because we've, we've been looking quite a bit, trying to find a house that was bigger, had more bedrooms. Um, we've looked at all kinds of things, and we've looked at adding on to ours and trying to figure out how we can make things work for you know homeschooling, everything that is happening in our family. But when I read this, I really, I really sensed that the Lord was kind of adding to what my wife and I had already kind of really started moving heavily into the direction of, we're going to stay here we're going to dig deeper. We're going to make this house work better than ever. We're going to make this neighborhood our parish. And I read these words and it said, stay there. Do not move around from house to house. And it really just confirmed in my spirit. It wasn't just the words on the page. It was something that I felt the Lord was saying, hey, I've placed you where I wanted you. I've planted you there. And and maybe you need to hear this in your context. I don't know if it's your job, your relationships, your actual physical location of where you live. But he says, eating and drinking whatever they give you, that when you enter that town and are welcomed, you take whatever is offered, but you are to be planted where he has placed you. Stay there. Do not move around from location to location. That he has placed you somewhere, and he has done it intentionally. He has called you. That is your parish. Whether it's your job, whether that's your your relationships that are in your work, that are going on in your neighborhood, whatever it is that you sense the Lord that is saying, man, I'm really just going to own what he has given me, what he has put in front of me. I believe he's called me here for a reason. And he goes into verse 8 talking about how that neighboring is a reciprocal relationship. And he says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Eat what is set before you. Let people help and serve you as well. This is what is real community. It's the reciprocal relationship. It's the give and take. It's not just, hey, it's, it's all about how I can be the savior for you, but how can we walk in relationship together? You know, and so Roger and I, man, we're trying to we're trying to kill the mice behind the behind our houses along the banks of this pond together. And so we're talking about, man, I'm I'm out of bait. What do you get? You know, what do you have? And we're, you know, sometimes it's I need literal food too. You know, we're we're out of this. We we're we're talking about being neighbors again. And I've borrowed things from them, and they've borrowed things from me. And I've kept an eye on their house, and they've kept an eye on mine. And we've taken care of their animals, and they've taken care. So how do we walk in reciprocal relationships and the give and taken and it's not just one way because that's what relationships are we eat what's set before us eat what is set before you how many of you you said you have uh you've probably even been with families of different cultures here in the states but maybe you've been overseas as well and you've had to eat what was set before you candy and i were talking about this week some of the most bizarre things that we've eaten when overseas uh, when in Nicaragua, uh, when in Nicaragua, if I can say that, um, Candy was it was placed before her to eat what we consider pets, and so she had to eat things that we don't typically eat here. And I remember, um, I remember when I was in Japan, they had, they had challenged us when we were over there. They were like, "This right here, if you can eat this, and it was a type of sushi, oh, you are real Japanese person." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm gonna try it." I enjoyed the adventure. I enjoyed the, almost the challenge of the nature of it. And I was like, I'm going to eat it. And I was chewing and chewing and chewing. And it was not the kind of sushi that I was used to here in America. It did not taste the same. I think the seaweed was just plucked out of the ocean that morning. And it had fermented something on top. I'm not even sure. I was told what it was. I don't really know. And it was hard to swallow. 
but we eat whatever is set before us. I mean, what the lives that we're getting involved in, yes, they are going to be messy. But if we get involved, we begin to bring the shalom of God into those situations. Because remember what? God enters our chaos. His voice that hovers over the tumultuous waters begins to speak, peace, be still. And we begin, through the voice of the Lord, begin to usher in his shalom, his kingdom, where he's already at work, where he's about to be at work, as we anticipate we're going into where he's about to be, in the towns and villages where he is sending us, into our parish. And for me, I see this and say, and he says, take whatever is put before you. Hey, be flexible. Everyone that we live around is going to be wildly different. Even... If you are married, your spouse brings a different family culture into that marriage than you do. And they have wildly different ways of spending holidays and what we eat and what is appropriate and how to raise kids. And, and, the, and the families around you are going to be wildly different than yours. What's important to them is going to be very different than maybe what's important to you. And the way that they play their music and what kind of music it is and how they, how they keep their yard, everything that happens within their family unit, it could be very, very different. Even if they've grown up in East Tennessee, it could be very, very different than the way that you do things, than the way you think, than the way that you communicate. And so he's saying, hey, be flexible. Be willing to bring my kingdom and find those people of peace wherever I send you, into whatever parish you are embedded in. And then finally in verse 9, as we're getting near the end here, and I've shared with this a few weeks, and Candy was surprised. She was like, you're talking about neighboring again? Sometimes we just need it to sit in, all right? We need it, we need it to sit there a little while before it takes root. And I feel like this is one of those. But in verse 8, he says, I'm sorry, in verse 9, Jesus says, he says, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So all of these instructions to the 72 that he's sending out two by two to find people of peace and to, uh, and to embed themselves into communities where he is about to visit, and he says, now demonstrate and preach the kingdom. Demonstrate the kingdom, and let them know that it has come near. That here is God's kingdom, and God's kingdom is coming and will come and will continue to come. He says, now bring healing and tell them that the kingdom has come. That's the final thing that he says to them in his instructions there. It wasn't the first thing. It was actually the last thing. And as you go, as you embed, as you identify people of peace, as you build relationships, as you find that they are reciprocal, as you find that you're in a give-take relationship, as you're in genuine relationships, begin to demonstrate the kingdom and begin to use your words as well as your actions in bringing the shalom of heaven to every area of their life. I heard a story this week about U.S. orphanages. U.S. orphanages in 1915 had an infant mortality rate of 90%. Let that sink in. In 1915, post-World War I, this is right in that era, they had an infant mortality rate of 90%. This seemed astonishing and um, vetted with a couple of different sources. 
And there was a gentleman in Germany as people began to try to research why are infant mortality rights different, not only in different countries, but in different contexts within the same country. And there was a gentleman by the name of Franz Talbot in Germany. And he began to do studies as he began to kind of study why there were different uh, infant mortality rates in Germany. And he heard about this one uh, orphanage there that uh, they, anytime that they began, they began to, to kind of reverse their numbers. And they did this and they accredited it to the, the help of one individual, a lady named Old Anna, they called her. And they said, well, anytime we've got kind of what we consider a hopeless cause, anytime we've got one that's really deteriorating, we give it to Old Anna. And Old Anna wears and holds and walks with and touches these, these infants, morning and night. And, and so Fra- uh, Franz Talbot, he was like, I need to talk to old Anna. I want to I talk to her and find out what is it that she is doing to see these numbers drastically changed in infant mortality rates right here in Germany where he was studying. And, he's, and as he's talking to her, she said, well, I just simply begin to hold and to touch babies for, uh, all morning, all afternoon, all evening, and they begin to see that the change of just that physical contact and the, the livelihood. Now, granted, this is about 35 years later. And yes, there were some different things that were coming out. There were vaccinations. There were other things that were helping. But this is where it began to be, as, as Franz Talbot published his findings in Germany and those of the who's who in American health got a hold of some of these findings, they began to enforce that in U.S. orphanages that they would be required to hold into touch and to nurture children with embrace embracing them on certain regularities. And they would be required to touch them. And there's other findings that you can find, other studies that have been done that are very, very similar. But the 35 years later, as they began to implement these things, they began to see that infant mortality rate drop drastically, going from 90% to 10% in U.S. orphanages. And one of the greatest factors was what they began to implement. And what we find out is that people need to be touched. People need proximity and relationships. And in infants, obviously that physical touch to their thriving is so vital, as well as their, just their mental and physical health. But we find that around us, people are hurting, people are dying, and we're too afraid to get to close enough to touch them. And God is asking us, if you want to see the change that we want to see by seeing his kingdom come, that his peace, the shalom of heaven, we have to be willing to get our hands a little dirty. Be willing to embrace people that look different, that smell different, that have a different culture, that talk different, that think different than we do. But this is where we begin to see spiritual life come when we allow our lives to infiltrate and embed in relationship, let God ooze out of ours, as we talked about last week, the aroma of heaven. Bruce, would you come up and play as we're ending? And so I want to encourage us this week, as we think about the different principles that we see in Luke as he is sending them out, let's identify not only our parish, but the people of peace where God has called us, where God has planted us, where God wants to use us? How do we begin to allow our lives to touch theirs?
How do we begin to walk in, in real relationships that are give and take, that, that aren't just, you know, man, I'm a, good to see you wave as we go by, uh, see them, you know, the next time we drive out of the driveway, uh, the only time they see us, right, we pull in and the garage opens and the garage closes, right? But when we begin to intentionally invest our lives in theirs. We intentionally invest what God has placed in us and we identify where he's at work in their life and we join him in the renewal of all things. How could we touch more this week? How could we hold people that are hurting? How could we walk with those that are fighting a great battle in their family? And maybe you're here and that includes you today. And so I'd like everyone just to bow your heads, no one looking around. Because Lord, I can imagine that even in this place, there are people that have come in and they're thinking, gosh, if Michael just knew, I'm, I'm one of those that is fighting a great battle right now. I need, I need someone with, to bring peace into my world. I'm not sure how I can take it to someone else's yet. And if that's where you're at right now, I want to be joining you and praying with you and for you that God would begin to restore and to heal and to mend the things that are going on in your heart. And if that's where you're at, I want to pray with you. Would you just raise your hand? I want to join you right now. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that you are the great redeemer, that our mess is never too messy for you. And the, as the scripture says, your hand of salvation, it's not too short to save. But I believe even right now, even if they feel like they've gone around the same mountain over and over and over again, that Lord, you can step into that place and Lord, we invite it right now. God, we invite you to step in and bring salvation and healing and the restoration of all things in our lives. That God, what we've been walking through, it may have seemed like a, a, a valley of the shadow of death, but God, we you can say, Lord, would you hold my hand and guide me through it? So I ask that today that we would once again fully give our hearts to you. We're dependent upon you fully to direct and to lead and to guide us. And we don't just make you our Savior, we make you our Lord. We put you in charge. And we thank you, God, that when you are leading and you are guiding, even those darkest valleys, you can put before us a spread a spread even before our enemies. We can walk in a bounty, in plenty, in more than enough because this is the God that you are. We thank you, Lord. And today, God, I just ask that you would walk with each one of us as we enter into our worlds, into our parishes, and that we would have the unction of the Holy Spirit, that it would come upon us so that we could be your witnesses. Holy Spirit, we can't do this on our own ingenuity and, and willingness and, and desire, but God, we've got to have your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to empower us as we demonstrate, seek to demonstrate the kingdom and to declare the kingdom. Lord, it must be done through the power of your Spirit if we want to see effective change, if we want to see true peace. So Lord, I ask that you would come and fill your people again. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Don't let us just continue to go through the motions. But God, would you ignite a flame and a fire within each one of us that would burn up all the things of this world and the dross that have crept in 
We thank you that you're calling us, that you have placed us, that you have planted us. We seek the peace of your kingdom to invade our world. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And may we raise our hands to be a part of the answer to that process and that prayer. God, let your kingdom come through us. Let your kingdom come through us. Let your will be done through us, through our words and our ways of thinking and our deeds and our actions and everything that we have that we bring into this world, God, in our relationships and with our neighbors and our parishes and those that we work with, Lord, and our families. God, let your shalom come and bring health and healing and wholeness and permanence. God, as we exhibit what it is to be your child, to be a part of your kingdom, your family. We exalt you, Lord. I pray and I bless your people today. We pray for those that weren't able to be here. God, we pray that you would continue to keep those that are going through um, some health tribulations. God, I pray that you would continue with your hand upon them. Would you continue to have your hand of healing on those, Lord? We lift up Tito. God, we pray your healing in his back and with his kidneys. God, we pray for healing over him now in Jesus' name. We pray for those with immune systems, the two I know now, Lord, right now, I just declare, God, that you would begin to continue to, um, to continue to strengthen and to reverse what is happening in their bodies, Lord, and we pray health and healing over their homes. God, I pray that over your people here, may your face shine upon us in our going and our coming, Lord, as we bring your peace to earth. It's in your name I pray. Amen.